Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Anna is here, and Mary and I are continuing our conversation about our relationship with money. In the previous session, we really talked about how busy moms can get themselves on the path of really, really being good stewards of, in, in, and aligning themselves right with these with these decisions that we have to make about our finances, um, as well as helping helping our their families, taking care of the whole household. Now, in this session, we really want to dive dive in deeper and talk more about the how tos, right? Because you've got two moms who also happen to be two financial planners. So, um, what do we talk about <laughs> from here on? But um, take out a sheet of paper, get a pen ready, because we're going to talk about some real specifics um, of what you can do to streamline your finances. So, Mary, please take it away. We work in a world as a financial planner that most of what we deal with a lot of times is wealth management, investments. We, we talk about some of these higher level things, retirement, some really scary, I say scary in quotes, but scary issues for a lot of people. And that's why they're like, ah, oh, just fix it for me and do it. But I want you to be empowered to do it, to do some of these things yourself. Now, I'm not saying you need to know the tax code, but what I am saying is all all financial planning begins with cash flow. Cash flow is the basis and the foundation for any financial plan because that's going to dictate how much money is being spent, how much money is being saved, how much money is being invested, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where I'm going to focus the majority of my comments around is cash flow. And really, for most of us, it's, it's kind of getting a handle on that. I will not use the word budget because budget is like a diet. Diet is something that none of us want to do. We all want the results of it, but we don't <laughs> want to do it. We don't want to go through it. I really prefer the idea of a spending plan. And let me start there of what, I, what do I mean when I say spending plan? With a spending plan, it's just that. It's a plan for your money. It tells you, hey, here's what I think I'm doing and here's what I actually did. It's a little bit of an accountability process. So my encouragement, and I do this with my students all the time, most of them are, by the way, are master's level students who are financial planners, some are already in the field. And when I assign this assignment, many of them go, I don't even track my money now. Why would I start? So you are not alone. Do not feel like you are the only one not doing this, but it is something that I encourage them to do. And I tell you by the end of the semester, when they turned in that assignment, it's like a revelatory experience. They have transformed and I have not told them to do or change anything. It's been themselves being able to reflect upon their own experiences or their own finances in that way. So let me explain a little bit of what I mean by a spending plan. Started the, even before the month starts or at the beginning of a month, and it can be any month that you want, but start and you just start writing down the things that you know are gonna be coming out, right? That's is really easy job. I love doing this with clients because when you do it, it's super easy on the fixed side. Everybody knows what they're paying in a mortgage or a rent. They know what usually their car payments are, their student loan payments, all of those fixed things coming out, we've got down pretty well. Here's where the catch comes in though. It's those variable expenses. And I think the one that I love the most is, is food. Because when I say food, I break it down. How much do you spend on groceries? How much is fast food? How much is dining out or restaurants? How much is wine and alcohol versus how much are lunches at work? So it's kind of broken down a lot by categories there versus then just saying generally food. Because I've heard 
everything from I spend a hundred dollars a month for my children, my family of five. And that's what you think you might be spending. But in all reality, I have yet to meet a person for with a family of five who is spending that on their total food budget for the month. And so what I want you to do is write down what you think you're spending on every category, on everything. Whether, and it doesn't matter whether it's on a credit card or it's coming out of your checking account or you're paying cash for it. I want you to track all the things coming in and then all the things coming out. And to simplify this process, I don't think you need to do it on gross income. And what I mean by gross income is your before tax. What I really uh, intend on this project is that you're doing it with what we call net income and that's after tax. It's the money that actually hits your checking account from your paycheck, because that's what you're gonna have to spend. Don't worry about all the other stuff, the taxes and retirement and everything else coming up. So go with your net income. What do you think it's gonna be? And then all of your expenses, and write them all down and then you just track it. Literally, that's all you do. No one's telling you, no one's judging you and there shouldn't be even any shame. If you wanna buy the Gucci purse, buy the Gucci purse, but you write it down, right? Um, if you wanna make a big purchase, if you wanna buy the coffee, whatever it is, there's no guilt, there's no shame in what that is, but you track it over the course of that month and then you reconcile it at the end of the month. And I will tell you the best technique is not wait the very end, but it's writing those things down either daily or a couple of times a week, but at least you're kind of going in there and writing it down. And when I say writing it down, there's apps that do this now. There's a spreadsheet you can use. So do it in the most effective way that works for you. If you like keeping receipts, keep your receipts and the end of every week, go back and reconcile it. Whatever method, it doesn't matter. As long as you're looking at it fairly frequently and putting it in the right categories. Uh, just a quick little thought here. There is no Amazon category or Target category or other big brand name stores. And I say that because we can have a pretty large Amazon bucket at the end of the month and have no clue what we spend it on. So when I say break it down, break it down. Is it kids clothes? Is it shoes? Is it um, food? Like whatever that thing is, just write it down in that category. And so sometimes you might have a receipt with three different categories and that's okay. At the end of the month, you're going to look at it and say, okay, I was spot on with these expenses. And then I was way off on these other expenses. And that's okay. I think especially the first month you ever do this, it's a real challenge to get it all right. Um, I always recommend with this that you go for a minimum of three months. And why do I say the number three? Well, there's some magic with three. It takes three weeks to break a habit, at least, right? Mm -hmm. Well, with money, we don't get money usually on a weekly basis. We usually get it, and then the bigger decisions kind of come on the monthly cycle. A lot of bills are due in the monthly cycle. Paychecks are once or twice a month, depending on how it, it operates. So getting that use of the habit of doing it for at least three months is what I say, because it gives you a good ebb and flow of what your cash flow is over time. Also, the other thing is it's gonna depend on the month you do it. September is gonna look really different than December does, right? And December is gonna look really different than July, and that's okay, it's meant to look different because there's different things happening in those months. Some months might be back to school, others might be birthday or holidays. It's okay, it's just you need to prepare for that. That's why the before and the after really make a difference. And so I would encourage you to, to follow through. The best part of this whole project is not writing down all the numbers. 
it's what happens at the end. When you go back and you self-reflect and you, not, a, not anybody from the outside, even as a teacher, I even tell my students, I never comment on what they spend anything on. That is totally their choice. And I think that's true for you as well. It's not my duty to tell you how to spend your money. That's your job. But what I want you to do is be aware of how you spend your money. And then you make those changes and decisions. It's not me telling you, it's not anyone else that's shooting you that you should, should, should do this, right? If you wanna spend it, spend it. But just know, like we talked about last time, there's a trade-off. If you spend it here, you won't be able to spend as much over here. And becoming aware of those trade-offs in your day-to-day -day life, I have had people literally floored. And I, when I say people, I mean even financial planners who do this for a living, floored at some of the things that they are spending on and didn't realize or recognize and how that is. So I really encourage you to kind of take this process. I will uh, share with you too, there's a blog post on this and we have a spending plan template that if you like spreadsheets, I'm happy to share that as well. If you're not a spreadsheet fan, there's uh, great apps. And I, I would caution you with the apps to make sure that you're actually following through, not expecting the app to know it, but you're going in and, and making sure that that end part comes in. The apps usually don't do the pre-budget stuff, so you don't need to do that on your own. And then you follow through, because the reflection part of this project is the biggest takeaway. Um, and let me know how it goes. I'd love to hear from you and your experiences on that. I love it. This is very similar um, to what I teach in uh, my money flow course, sort of breaking it yep. down to fixed and various expenses. I love the reflection part. That's something that I'm going to put more uh, emphasis. So yeah, I, that's, that's amazing. It's scary, actually. Don't you think like you, you don't want to look at it. And that's why a lot of us hide behind even the apps. You're right. Like the whichever app you're using to track it. It's like, oh, whatever. It can be scary, but it can be really empowering. And that's what I want you to walk away with is instead of burying your head in the sand, walk away with empowerment because the more you know about that cash flow, the more you're going to be able to control it instead of it controlling you. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I, I love it. That's, I, I think if anything, that's the biggest takeaway from our conversation is, is just do this, do this exercise. And it's such a, it's such a freeing process for sure. Let's talk about the sort of when we got the spending plan, uh, you know, out, out and it's okay. going to take us a, a good three months to really map it out. What is the next sort of best step that uh, folks can work on? Good question. So a lot of times you've got this spending plan going, you start to know how much you're spending a month in different areas. And even though it kind of ebbs and flows and revolves over time, you've got a good kind of baseline to go from, or at least a range to go from month to month. Here's where people get really tripped up. Sometimes things aren't monthly, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes things come quarterly or annually or throw off that spending plan. So that's where I hear a lot of excuses a lot of times of, well, Christmas happened or holidays happened again this year and it totally blew it up. Well, we know that, right? So what can you predict in the future versus what you're trying to, to figure out every day on your day to day? So what I use is a lot of times, and everyone will have heard of a rainy day fund or an mm -hmm. emergency spending account. So let me start with that and clarify what I mean by an emergency spending account. Your car tire blowing, not an emergency. 
a death in the family, absolutely an emergency, right? So when I talk about emergencies, I'm talking about catastrophic and you can add catastrophic emergency fund to the front of yours mm -hmm. because that's what you really need in that account. And the rule of thumb, which I hate rules of thumb, but really in our industry, it's three to six months worth of spending of your spending expenses, right? So this would include, could you pay your mortgage for three months if you lost your job? Do you, can you put gas in the car? Can you keep food on the table? The things that keep you alive during that time when the catastrophic thing hits. And when I say catastrophic, we're talking job loss, death, disability. Uh, the other reason on the six month side is disability. If you have a long-term disability policy, awesome. And I'm a big fan of disability policies because that can happen at any point in time, especially with younger professionals. It's more likely you're going to become disabled than actually die. But keeping in mind that those policies don't kick in for a good six months. And so you're going to need a way to be able to continue to pay until that policy pays out or whatever the situation may be. So there's a lot of reasons why to have a solid um, and I even don't love three to six months because I am an entrepreneur and as an entrepreneur and self-employed, I need a lot more than six months because I can have a really rough year. And anybody that knows an entrepreneur knows some, some of, for some of us, it was a rough year this year for others. It was great, but you need that because it's such a shock in your income to go up and down. So it really depends on your job. If you're a tenured professor, very hard to fire or maybe work for the government, you maybe need a little bit less than those that are uh, solopreneurs and working on their own side, they probably need a little bit more. So with an emergency fund, I really want you to think catastrophic and a total crisis, not a water heater going out, not needing to replace something in your house, not some of the things we think of as emergencies. So with that in mind, let's switch over to what I mean by a life fund. A life fund is something that you can use to predict kind of going forward year by year to predict what you need to be saving in a separate account, not your emergency fund, not your spending accounts or whatever that may be, but in a little separate fund that's never going to grow to be big, but it's a little bit to say, hey, when I need new tires or when the holidays come, or when the vacation hits, or when the life insurance or car insurance has come due, whatever those odd, I kind of call them irregular expenses pop up, then you're going to have the money already set aside that you're not going to have to pillage your catastrophic emergency fund. And it's not going to totally throw off your spending plan that you're totally that you're working on month to month because you can't have one month of a $2,000 expense and the next month back to zero, right? That would just throw it off. And so really that life fund helps you predict out. And we have this up on our website as well. You can download the PDF and go through what those are. And you're just kind of anticipating this year, I'm going to need an extra $6,000, you know, or whatever that may be to be able to pay for all these things that I already know we're going to have to pay for. And it helps you prepare and save for those things without you having to pull from other accounts or even messing up your plan. So that's what I mean by a life fund. I love it. I, I love the way, um, did you come up with the name for it? Or I just, I, you did, I love it. I yeah. did, yep. Definitely, definitely um, 
takes away from the pressure of emergency fund kind of being the, the, the all, you know, the, the everything you just like dip your fingers into if you need the extra money. I love it. Some, yeah. some financial planners recommend, we don't, we, we, we really more are the traditional uh, focused on, on the emergency fund. I call it, um, in my world, call it um, a curveball account when a life throws your, ah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a cute name. Yeah. Um, but um, I, 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 I like to break down and how you um, separate it because I think clients have, um, especially when they go through the spending plan exercise, um, that's the first kind of objection you hear like, well, my insurance, I have paid once a year or, you know, that, that doesn't come, I don't know what it's monthly and so we're, we're property <laughs> taxes, right? And, uh, right, right? and then they start to set up these separate accounts, right? And then you get a financial statement from them that has, 10 accounts like why do you have all of these accounts well i'm trying to have my own separate little buckets for uh to pay for whatever irregular expenses so this is and and i want to say on there too like i don't think this is the way for everyone i think it's a way for some and so there the, again going back to there's no perfect solution if this works for you this has really worked for us and it works for us well and you've got some some methods too. So look at different methodologies and say, hey, Mary, I'll take this component from yours, but add it with a component that Anna's sharing or something else. I think that's really important that you make it work for you and your family. And again, it's good, better, and best. There's no perfect <laughs> solution or all bad um, with yeah. that. Totally. I wanted to also see if we can chat about one particular kind of a topic or more of an angle of a topic, but um, kind of relates to the emergency, but maybe a little bit more, we can sort of bring other areas in financial planning where I think both of us see a lot of deficiencies. And I want to call that category being prepared for the unknown. Um, so let's maybe dive into, I wanted to touch on a little bit on estate planning, maybe a tiny bit on ins life insurance. And especially because we are in such a uh, uncertain times right now like what you know what are some of the um tips or suggestions we can come up in this area you know i have a very vivid memory about 10 years ago of sitting in an airplane uh, next to a woman who had recently been widowed she was probably in her mid-70s i would say and as she shared her story of her and her husband she turned to me and said well what's your degree and she knew i was going to school and i said financial planning and her eyes got so big and she said you know, my husband managed everything. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know how to write a check. And here she is towards the end of her life and yet being kind of thrown into the ocean in a lot of ways of not having any background. And in her situation, her kids were obviously grown and out of the house and able to help her. Sometimes that curveball and you're thrown into the ocean at a very young age. And if you don't know some of the basics or tenants, and that's where it comes back to communication, right? It shouldn't be just one partner or one spouse doing it all. It needs to be both of you. And even if this is not your strong suit, it's okay. You still should have some part of that. You need to be communicating about it. You should know where the emergency binder is. If something happens, you need to know where the life insurance policies are, the bank accounts. You need to know what assets are where, <coughs> excuse me, to be able to be proactive on this and, and be able to take care of a situation, especially in the case of death or disability even, or some kind of tragedy. It doesn't even have to be 
um, complete death, it could be a mental loss or some kind of accident that takes place that you just don't know. And so do you have, I think those are keys and, and I do have some uh, information on my blog about estate planning. And many of us think of estate planning as, well, that's for the rich and wealthy, right? right. <laughs> we don't have an estate. Why would I need an estate plan? So it's probably a bad name that we use in our industry in terms of an estate plan. But what I'm talking about here, there's really five key documents and you can look that up on the, on the blog that I say you have to have, whether you have any assets in the bank or none at all. But if you have children, you need to have, who's going to take care of your kids if something happens? And I don't mean just death. I mean, if you become disabled or if you become mentally incapacitated, who is going to take care of that? If you're in the hospital, who's going to take the advanced, uh, it's called an advanced medical directive. Who's going to make those life determining situations and decisions for you, right? Who, if you have a will, my, again, going back to my brother that passed away, he didn't have a will. They had to go through what we call probate. And that's literally just a fancy name to say they had to take it to court and my sister-in-law had to hire many, about five different lawyers to represent all of the constituents in that estate, whereas a will would have voided all of those things, right? So those are the types of things that I think are so important, especially for young parents or, or parents with young children. You need to know those things and have them in place, and both of you need to know where they are because there's no telling which partner or if both of you might go you need to let some other trusted third party know how to access that information and how to get it. And again, use your discretion, be very careful. This is a very sensitive topic, but I think you need to know and plan for the worst while also hoping for the best. And I know that that's kind of a scary thing for people, especially during this pandemic. I know that the beginning of it, I we had kind of left off in a not done a lot of planning around, well, what if my husband had passed away? We just kind of expected, well, whatever he's got at work, that'll be enough to cover it. And we started thinking about that. And I thought this could be a real situation, right? And I think that has many of us during this pandemic think, if I were to lose him, what would I have to change about my life, right? And how would I be able to, I, I'm totally able to take care of my children, but that would mean a very different life situation for us. And so we ended up going back and reassessing some of our insurance, the life insurance policies. We've looked at some of our disability policies. We reevaluated what that estate plan looks like. And this is something that we, I don't think it's a one and done. It's something that you kind of do continuously, right? Um, we're going through that now with my, my grandparents who are in their 80s. Of they, they purchased some, some things that really weren't appropriate for their situation. But if you kind of go back and look, what are their needs now? Well, their needs are more that long-term plan, the long-term care planning, right? And so looking through what those are now, and I'm probably using words here that you're like, what in the world is this? <laughs> and that's where I say, reach out to a professional. And that's part of the guide that Anna's gonna give you from Chief Financial Mom, is we'll give you a link to, to downloading that of good questions to ask a financial professional, because there are there's a lot of vernacular in here of words that you, you've heard of maybe before but aren't quite sure and are embarrassed to ask, don't be embarrassed. We'll give you as much information and empowerment as you can, but make sure that you also have a good professional behind you. And a lot of times it, you need a lawyer to draw some of these or, or you need a financial planner to help kind of guide you along with what that it is, or maybe an accountant 
on the tax side. So I think there's very much a lot of things that, that families can do to prepare for situations like we're living through right now, for pandemics that you, it doesn't mean your bases will be 100% covered and everything's hunky-dory, but at least you're gonna have a baseline in place that you can have that help and be taken care of. And this is where professionals really can come into play and good, good help when you ask the right questions. Yes, and I also wanted to maybe add this one one additional comment is it doesn't always have to be uncertain times like a lot of life transitions or had, think about the positive side of things. Anytime you're expecting a baby, you know, anytime you're moving, anytime you're buying a new house, like some of these life phases that we all go through um, is, is something that should prompt you to seek help of a professional um, who can who can guide you in a lot of these areas. And so totally going to share a resource that Mary has put together um, of how you um, what questions to ask because we both of us know our industry is um, is huge and there's a lot of information out there and it's just sometimes it's hard to sort through um, through all of it and figure out okay what's what's the best opportunity for me well I very much enjoyed again our conversation in this session thank you so much Mary very informative yeah. we will include all the links um, to the resources that you shared and yes everyone stay in touch with Mary check out her blog it's chieffinancialmom.com correct mm -hmm. yes and yep. follow her on various social media channels Mary thank you so much for your time today thank you bye bye